Philippians chapter 1. Does anyone remember what we talked about last week? Shout it out. We're a small group. Raise your hand. Yeah, this is tough, eh? I even had to think hard. Last week, I didn't send out the midweek reminder. Now I know I should have. Talked about Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Some of the things he prayed is that they would superabound in agape, that they would grow in knowledge and discernment of the Lord, that they may do the right thing, that they would be blameless and spotless until the Lord's return. And that's how we are to pray for one another. So Paul, in this book, so far has introduced himself. We've learned a little bit about the Philippians from the book of Acts. We learned of Lydia, the businesswoman. We've learned of the slave girl who had the demon cast out of her and the jailer who was saved. And Paul is very thankful for them. And every time he remembers them, he has joy when he prays. And then we learned, he said very clearly, thinking of them, that he was confident of this very thing, that he, being God who begun the good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we were really encouraged by that, that as God is working in others, and we might not see it, might not be at our pace, we can be hopeful, amen, that he's doing something even when we can't see and that is uh, really encouraging, I think, for all of us. So, and then the little prayer that Paul prayed as he prays for them in verse 9 through 11. And the things I just mentioned brings us to verse 12. And if you have a Bible, I'll read through verse 18. But I, being Paul, want you to know, brethren, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident of my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, preach Christ or excuse me, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Verse 16, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So Lord Jesus, we declare and we are confident in your promises that your word will not come back void. Would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, you are here. We believe your promises. We pray that you would speak to us Remind us, challenge us, comfort us, exhort us, Lord God. We pray this in your name, amen. So, 
It's funny how your weeks line up with what you want to say or what you think or you don't even know at the beginning of the week what you want to say, but um, God is faithful to show you uh, what to say. And I really think that this is a really important message for me. It was for me. Uh, but I really think it's important for you and any believer as well. And maybe I'm sure you've heard thoughts like this before, but we are way too dependent on our own understanding and ability. Amen? And I don't even think we know it in this country sometimes that we operate in our own abilities and we're losing a battle because we're not fighting the right enemy. And you look at Paul's story here, and here he's in jail. Obviously, he's writing. So things aren't necessarily going well from a human perspective. Um, he's in jail for something, really, he's never done. Or it's just a stinky circumstance, to be honest. And never mind that he's in jail. He then, at the back half of our verses, makes it very clear that there are people who are Christians, obviously, because they are preaching Christ, but they don't like Paul. And he makes it very clear that they don't like him. In some versions, it says, they're making my chains more painful to me. So not only is he in jail, but there's people who are probably saying some pretty mean things, doing mean things, who aren't even the jailers, but are who are fellow Christians who are really hurting him. And so that's our situation. Like Paul's told them he's happy to, to, to hear of them and what's going on, and he's praying for them, but he speaks of his situation, and the reality of his situation in the human terms is it really stinks. That's just the way it is. But when you read what he says, you don't get that flow at all. You get the sense, well, I'm in jail for a reason, and I'm preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved, and hey, they don't like me, but who gives a rip because they're preaching Christ, and I'm going to rejoice. Yes, I'm going to rejoice. Now, I've taught this many times, and we can talk about evangelism with this, and how we should always preach Christ, no matter our circumstance, or uh, we can teach that we should always have joy. But I just really think sometimes we leave people hanging because we say, just be happy. Just rejoice. That's what God wants for you. And they're like, okay. But how? How do we become like Paul when there's a real stinky situation in jail? Just be happy you're in jail. Just be happy people are mad at you. Just be happy your life really stinks right now. And you go to church and they said, be happy. Okay, I'm going to leave. I'm happy. Let me go listen to a song. Be happy. Um, look something up on Spotify and dance around the kitchen. But then after that, I'm not happy. And I sometimes think that we fail to look a little deeper, even in my life. And I've maybe at times failed you in saying, okay, just go be like Paul. And then we go in our own strength and we try and do that. And what does it last? If you're me, an hour... If you're you and you have a stronger will, maybe a day, a week, a month, 
and maybe you're super strong and you last six months or a year, well, then the reality of the battle just comes and it's hard. And I was thinking about this, what is beneath this? And then through a series of teachings that I heard and some reading and just what God, through circumstances of people texting and saying, yeah, this is beyond me, what do I do? It made me really think and consider some of the things I had heard. So, I want to be clear about this message too. Yeah, I give it with a little warning because I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare and the reality of the spiritual realm. But I don't want you to think that you getting up in the morning is because of the devil. Well, I can't get up. It's the demon of sleep. So I want you to use common sense, okay? As well as your spiritual sense. And I know people that, you know, they sneeze and, you know, it's demonic. And that's not the situation here. But I want to make it very clear, in North America, we have put the spiritual realm in such a place that we are missing, we are missing so much in who we should be and how we should fight. Okay, so if you have a Bible, we're going to take a little journey. So turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will, with me. 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 12. Let's try starting there. I don't know how much I'm going to look at my notes. Just feel it's kind of on my heart. Probably come off better that way anyways. Anyways, Paul's the author. Very personal letter, 2 Corinthians. Probably one of the most personal letters he writes uh, of all his epistles. He shares a lot of his own personal experience and his own past. And different versions say this verse differently, but in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of body I do not know. This is chapter 12, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians. Such a one was caught up, so in the Greek, harposo, or raptured into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up in paradise and heard inexpressible words, which, I can't, which are not lawful for such a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. Verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above all measure. You know, it's easy just to uh, quickly pass over scriptures like this, and yeah, third heaven, messenger from Satan, hmm, I have no clue. Next! Um, so obviously Paul is talking about himself, and some versions say that, and verse 7 makes it very clear, but he mentions in spirit or body, he has this amazing spiritual experience where he is in the third heaven. What is the third heaven? I've heard it taught, some people thinking 
that there's levels to heaven. So when we get there, if you've been really, really good, you go to the third heaven. I don't think that's true at all. I think there's one heaven, there's different rewards, but we're all in the same place. Well, what does it mean if there's a three, there must be a one and two, amen? I think that's kindergarten math, one, two, three. So if he's claiming the third, what is the first? I think Genesis would make it clear that God created the blank and the earth, the what? The heavens. So it's the atmosphere, it's the sky. That's the first heaven. That's our realm. That's where we are. David in Psalm 8 makes it clear that he is just in awe of God's creation of the heavens by the finger of God, this amazing kind of creation. When I look at the heavens, the sky, the earth, the work of your fingers. So he's speaking of our reality, the heavens that were created. So now we have three and one, but what about two? Um, some people think it is space, outer space, the sky, that realm, and then heaven is the heavenlies, the place where we are. But I would propose today, and even if you don't think it's the second heaven, there is a reality of the spiritual realm. Amen? Now, obviously, this is a little difficult for us in North America to understand because I think the devil's greatest weapon here is more getting people not to believe at all rather than you're facing a big bad enemy in the spiritual realm. But if I remember talking to Jim Stanley about Africa or missionaries, and they'd be like, you don't believe in the spiritual realm? You're crazy. And he had experienced this so much in seeing things that you would never think to happen. But it doesn't seem like that's so much of the devil's weapon here, as much as the devil saying, none of that exists, right? Now, the Bible is chalk full of examples of this spiritual realm. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll know something very clearly, that the word of God makes it clear that there's something going on that we can't see. In verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, the stand part, as Watchman Nee would call of Ephesians, says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you will be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow, same thought, same word. Obviously not heaven, paradise where Paul was because we know the devil was cast out. I think it's Revelation 13. He was defeated, right? But obviously there is a battle yet going on. Satan, the prince of this world, is trying to yield evil to the first heaven through all his principalities and powers and rulers. And oftentimes I think in my life I'd be like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's good, right? But how does that affect me really today? I don't see the devil, I don't feel the devil, I don't know angel, I don't know demonic. 
And everything actually maybe I've seen is people just a little weird. Maybe you felt that too. But the reality of scripture in what it says is there is a realm beyond our realm and is not in the paradise heavenly realm that is active and working. And our battle actually is with that realm. That's what scripture says. It's interesting in Ephesians as well. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Paul talking about the church to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So something of the church and the victory of the church is being known, the variety of the church in these heavenly realms which we cannot even see. And Paul says our battle's not against flesh and blood. It is something so much greater. Our enemy is greater. Yet we live in this first realm and everything is so physical in our thoughts and even in our spirituality that we are missing how to have victory in a deeper way. Because if we fight with our own strength, there is a certain capacity you don't stand a chance against evil in that realm. Unless, obviously, you are fighting with spiritual weapons. If you are fighting knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ lives in you. Even C.S. Lewis, the amazing intellectual writer, brings this reality home to us in a little book called The Screwtape Letters, where he has two demons talking to each other. And this guy was brilliant, and yet he saw, and he pictured in this little fictional book of how two demons are trying to stumble the human race, but so often, my, oh, that's just silly. But yet, he had something there that was so true. And it wasn't jump in front of you. It was how to tempt people. That's what the book is about. How to draw them away. How to do it subtly so they don't even know that it's happening. That's how evil can work. And yet, if you don't realize it and know it, and don't claim the power you have and use the weapons you have, you will struggle and you will lose. I remember three years ago, I was sitting in my living room. And you might remember, I have a friend named Al Gurley. So Al was there. He came on his annual visit. And he, for two years, wanted to bring his friend Rob with him. And I knew Rob. And I'm like, let's just wait on that. Uh, I love Rob. Rob's a little out there, though. You know, like, I'd heard stories of Rob from Al. I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for that, or I don't think Northgate's ready for that. He's like, oh, well, Rob's ready for Northgate. Um, I just had such a battle, and I remember in Florida, I was there, it was such a foggy day, and I was praying, God, should, is this something you want? And I just felt the Lord give me peace. Yeah, bring Rob, like, let him come. And so I said, I'll come. So they came in the spring, and it didn't, he was great at Northgate. He just sings scripture songs. So basically, that's what he did. He came and sang, you might remember. He put scripture to music. And he even got my kids to sing in the living room. I'm like, you must be a spiritual man. Um, and they were all singing. And he came and did the same thing. And he had a little word of perseverance for us at church. And 
that was pretty much it. He sang his songs, gave a little word, and that was, but for me, I think a lesson I learned, he was in our living room, we sang with the kids, they went to bed, we're all sitting around there, Al, and he's, he just says, how you doing? Um, pretty cheery guy, I just saw him this Christmas and had him, uh, prayed with him again um, while we were in New York, and I, I didn't really know him too well, and I said, oh, I'm doing okay. And actually, I said, there are a few things that are bothering me. I wasn't Paul in jail, or, but I did feel like Paul that, that year I had struggled with some people. Not that you never struggle with people, but I had some struggles with people. And I really felt some people were doing me wrong. And um, the reality is it's somewhat a part of ministry, but I was pretty hurt. And so I was ready to tell Rob my sob story. And uh, he's in the living room, and he's like, oh, tell me about it. I'm like, oh, darn it, this and this. And I didn't do this. And this person said this and did this and then did that. And so I'm thinking in my head, oh, he's going to give me, like, just hang in there good boy, you know, a little pat on the, you know, that's, I was looking for a little sympathy, I don't know if you ever do that, a little compassion from Mr. Spiritual Rob, like, come on, Rob, tell me I'm right, tell me they're wrong, let's pray for them, because they need it, yeah, we'll even, like, lay hands on the Spirit on them, because they need it, and I am right, not that I was wrong or right, in Rob's mind, because he turned and looked at me, he's like, Oh, interesting. He gave me no sympathy nor compassion. <laughs> he didn't even talk about me or talk about the other people. He looked at me and said, you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're trying to make this me against them, them against me. He said, you're going to go a circle and you're just going to get hurt and they're going to hurt and it's just going to go around and around and around. Okay, you can be quiet now, Rob. He said, the real enemy is the devil, and the weapon is bitterness and division, and he wants to destroy the work. Now, I might have heard that before, but my first response is, come on, we need to deal with the reality of the situation. And if someone needs to go spank them, honestly, but that wasn't the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is not knowing of them, but I know myself, I was giving in to the spirit of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And it wasn't just thoughts. I believe that those thoughts come from the evil one. And if he can get us thinking like that, we really are in trouble. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred. Shall we name some more thoughts that are lies and demonic in nature? Selfishness. And again, I caution you with, obviously there's free will and choice to do the right thing, and we're all called to do the right thing. Amen? But sometimes it's not all about you, and Paul recognized that in his situation. And unfortunately, the devil, what he does brings it always back to us and people, and we miss the reality of the real warfare. And that's why he says, 
You're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's not about you going to get them. It's not all about this first heaven and me against you. There's the realm of the second spiritual battle. But I want to tell you another thing is you don't win the second battle by fighting from the first atmosphere, the first heaven, the first place where we live. You have to fight from heavenly places. And Paul makes that very clear in 2 Corinthians again, if you want to turn there, in chapter 10. See, Paul knew this battle. He knew what was going on. There were many people who hated him. And even worse. Chapter 10, verse 1, I'll just read the first couple of verses. Now, I, Paul, and myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Basically, he's saying you can't fight with human weapons the spiritual battle. You have to fight with heavenly weapon. You have to fight this warfare, Ephesians 6, with the truth of the armor of God. You have to know your position in Christ. You have to know your authority that Christ has given you. Daniel chapter 10, probably some of you know, I, I felt earlier this year that God saying to me, I'm making you into a Daniel. And I said, well, I already am a Daniel. But I think more in spirit than anything that God, please give me wisdom and knowledge. God, I need more wisdom. James chapter 1, I want to be like a Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 10, he's praying and seeking and he's saying he's not going to have certain things. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, as he's been praying, and an angel appears to him and says, Beloved Daniel, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Beloved Daniel, precious Daniel. I love any translation. And then it says, you know, I would have come earlier, but I got tied up in the spiritual realm, fighting the prince of Persia, and I actually had to call in for some backup, paraphrase, from Michael, the archangel, to deal with that guy, so actually I could come. But we heard you from the beginning, but there's really, paraphrase, something going on that you don't even know about. See, Ephesians, principalities, powers, different ranks, different authorities, things going on. Daniel's job was just to pray and to continue. And if he didn't hear right away, to keep at it and believe. And we are called to the same thing. To fight. Now I want to tell you, in Ephesians 2, you now 
in your spirit, not your body yet, have been raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. You see, I don't want to get into this, but when we sinned, or Adam sinned, which became our sin, we gave the devil all run muck of this whole earth, right? But when Jesus came, he defeated the devil and gave us the authority back when we believe and trust in him. Adam had all authority until in disobedience he gave it to Satan, but then Christ, who is greater, won it back through his death and resurrection on the Christ on the cross and then as we believe in him that power and authority because Christ lives in us is ours but we're too busy fighting with our intellect or our strength or our will or our you name it and there's a battle going on beyond what we see but yet we can through the work of Jesus Christ, our belief in him, knowing we're in the heavenlies in the spirit, declare victory over evil in our lives. I'm not going that way. I'm not going to be bitter. Get out of here, Satan. In the name of Jesus, I have all power. But we don't do that because we don't believe in that. And we don't see it, and then we don't, and then we doubt, and then we don't have faith, and then it's taking way too long, and we live in an instant society, and we stop praying. Well, Pastor Dan, I'm gonna go home and pray with all authority, but what if it doesn't happen? Well, so much for my authority then, right? It's all a bunch of bunk. Daniel had to wait three weeks, you might have to wait three months, you might have to wait 30 years, because I don't know what God's doing. I'm like, is this just the charismatic church that believes this? Well, I listened to a sermon on Charles Stanley. He's about as Baptist as you can get. And he's like, how come people don't pray in authority and realize the truth of the spiritual realm? And I'm like, this is the body of Christ. Whether you're charismatic or Baptist, you got to wake up. We're falling asleep at the wheel and we're a church that has no power because we don't believe in the truth of Scripture. Why do I have to wait? And Jesus said to persevere in prayer. And then he said something interesting at that section in Luke 18. Will I find faith when I come back? Not instantaneous faith that sees things happen, but faith that digs in and keeps pleading and pleading and pleading. That is faith to Jesus. The mustard seed sometimes we think is small, but some commentator says it's brief, a briefness of faith, where Jesus is saying faith perseveres. And you continually claim your authority, not knowing maybe how God's going to do it, but believing in what he has said. Heard a great example of this. If you are new on the police force, you drug bust some guy, you get a lot of drugs from him, you see what he's done, you bring him in, you go back home, you think you're well, you find out when you come back the next day they've released him. And as a police uh, new on the force, you're like, what are you doing? Why'd you release him? And the captain pulls you aside, there's something a lot bigger going on. We got a bigger bust working that you don't know about. 
Would that ever happen? I have no idea, but it makes sense to me spiritually. Sometimes I want my way and my authority now, but God's got a bigger bust on his mind and something greater. And the waiting is for a purpose, for a healing, for a work that we might not know, but we still take our authority from the third heaven to say, that is where I sit with Christ in position, and I'm not going to fight the enemy in the second realm, in my own first realm strength, but rather with Jesus Christ and who he is. We're using the wrong weapon in the wrong world. And if we can learn and trust, things will look a lot different in God's perfect time. Paul, why am I in jail? This stinks. Oh no. God, you've got something better. God, you're doing something. It's not like he doesn't ask them to pray that he'll be released. He does later on in the book. But at this time, in this present place, I'm taking your authority to say the gospel's going to be preached for God's glory. And those people who are mad at me and are abusing me, as long as Jesus is preached, go get him. And the strength came not from his physical understanding, but a deeper knowledge of the spiritual battle, claiming truth to bring victory for the kingdom of God. So now, when I hear Rob's voice in my head, it makes a lot more sense. I'll give you a little scriptural example just to help you out as we close. Jesus in the garden said to his disciples, pray. What do they do? Sleep. Then he says, you got no chance to fight temptation if you don't pray. Remember that? Right? Pray. The flesh is weak, the spirit's willing, pray, goes back, they're sleeping again. He connects with God. Jesus is always going to that place with the Father that is beyond his reasoning. Should I go to the cross? My, my human spirit says, no way, I don't want to go through this, right? Spiritually, God's telling me to do this, something greater. I just point that to you because they fell asleep. They didn't go. And then when the guard comes, what is the first thing Peter tries to do? Anyone know? Malchius, the high priest servant. He pulls out his, and he cuts off his ear. He's fighting in the flesh. He's fighting a spiritual battle in the flesh. And Jesus is fighting in the spirit. Whoa, no, no. It's not what I'm called to do. And so often we're pulling out our physical sword to fight the battle of our problems here on earth when we should be pulling out our spiritual sword, knowing the will of God empowered by him to declare victory. This truly is a message for me that should change the way I pray.
Desperation's good when we pray, really good. But doubt is not. If it's in God's will according to his word, get to the place where you're sitting with him and declare with all authority that you've been given the truth of Jesus Christ. And you bind evil with his power for his glory. And let's see what God does. Do you believe he can do it? No matter your circumstance? I'm not saying when and how, and I'm not saying it's going to get better tomorrow. But I want to tell you, there is a real spiritual battle. And we can be victorious. Amen? All right, thank you, Lord. A lot of information, but a lot of truth. God, Holy Spirit, would you teach us what it means to truly walk in your power? and your authority. Would you teach us not to fight in our own strength, our own logic, but with the truth of your word and spiritual insight. May we know our enemy May we put on the armor of God, your truth, your righteousness, your salvation, your peace. As Elisha asked for the servant's eyes to be opened to the spiritual realm, to see the army of God, this morning, would you open our eyes that we might know and have confidence in you, Jesus Christ. The reality of any spiritual warfare is there is way more angels than demons and Christ is greater, greater than he that lives in the world. May we pray in your power, no matter the situation, Lord God, that you would work. Lord, we know that you've done the work on the cross, that you paid the price, that you defeated sin, that you defeated the enemy, you rose again, and you are all-powerful. You're alive, and we can sit with you Lord, we're going to celebrate you this morning. But before we do, it might be good just to pray together just for a moment.
Yeah. So good when we corporately verbalize our prayers. Nice small group just for a moment or so. If there's something on your heart that you want to pray for, just pray it out loud now. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of us in this room that we would know your victory, your strength through your work. May we have all power against temptation, against evil thought, evil action. As was prayed, we rebuke you, Satan, in your lies, in our lives. And Holy Spirit, would you replace that with your truth? give you all praise, God. Just receive your truth this morning. We receive more and more of you for your glory. The elements are in the back. David is going to sing. As you retrieve them, think how the Lord has made you clean and pure by his work on the cross and worship in victory this morning.